0: hey 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 everyone this is Tina Smoot here here for those who don't know I am a life coach a mentor and a motivational speaker um today we're on chapter two of Kingdom principles um I want to encourage y'all to follow me on YouTube Tina Smoot like comment subscribe hit that notification bell so you can know when I go live you can also follow me on Facebook at, at Tina Smoot um, I just want to encourage y'all to tune in every day cuz I'm going to do a chapter every day. Just want to encourage y'all to tune in and get this knowledge. It's going to help you with your with your life. I love you. We're going to get right into it. I t- um tune in with y'all after chapter 2. I hope y'all enjoy.
1: Chapter 2. The Kingdom of God versus the Governments of Man. There is no business more serious than government. 90% of all the national and international problems facing our world today are the result either of government or religion. This includes global hunger, health epidemics, wars, terrorism, racial and ethnic conflicts, segregation, nuclear tension, and economic uncertainty. Throughout history, Man's greatest challenge has been to learn how to live in peace with himself and his neighbors. Whether it is the continent of Africa, Old Europe, Norsemen of England, the Mongols of Asia, Indians of North and South America, or the Eskimos of Iceland, tribal warfare, racial and ethnic conflicts, and full-scale war have been the human story. In all of these social and cultural expressions of humanity, the one thing that has always evolved was some kind of authority structure, a form of leadership or government mechanism to establish and maintain social order. From the painted walls of native caves and the hieroglyphics of the tombs of ancient Egypt to the historic pyramid structures of the Aztec worshippers, evidence abounds of man's desire and need for some form of government structure. The need for government and order is inherent in the human spirit and is a manifestation of a divine mandate given to mankind by the Creator. Man was created to be a governor and ruler, and therefore it is his nature to seek some authority mechanism that would bring order to his private and social world. Government is necessary, desirable, and essential to man's social context, no matter how primitive or modern. This is why man continues to search for an effective way to govern himself. Man's need for some formal government structure is an outgrowth of his need for social order and relationship management. This need begins in the smallest prototype of society, the family, and extends all the way to the manifestation of national expressions of constitutional order. Nations need government. The first book of Moses, Genesis, reveals that the first prototype of government was introduced by the creator himself long before the first humans existed on the earth. In fact, it gives evidence of a government structure that pre-existed earth and the physical universe itself. This expression of government structure was a result of a desire to bring order to chaos and productivity to emptiness. Now the earth was formless, no order, and empty, chaotic emptiness. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. Genesis 1, 2 and 3. Here we see that the impact of a divine, invisible, supernatural government was necessary because of disorder and chaos. Thus the purpose for government is to maintain productive order and management. Furthermore, the creation of mankind was also a result of disorder and the need for management. A little later in Genesis, we find evidence of this as one of God's motives for creating man. When the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, and no shrub of the field had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no man to work, manage, or administrate the ground, but streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Genesis 2, 4b-6 From these verses, we see that the Creator allowed no productive growth to take place on the earth because there was no man to work the ground. The word work here implies management, administration, orderly development, and making fruitful. Thus, one of the principal motives for the creation of man was to provide a manager, administrator, and ruler of the planet earth. This is why the Creator expressed it in these words. Then God said... Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule or have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Genesis 1, 26. The mandate of the creator for mankind was rulership and dominion. As we saw earlier, the word dominion here translates the Hebrew word mamlaka, meaning kingdom or sovereign rule or government. Therefore the first command given to man by his creator was to establish a government on the earth, to destroy chaos and to maintain order. Government is God's solution to disorder. The logical conclusion one can derive from this scenario is, first of all, that government is God's idea. Second, that the absence or lack of correct government will always lead to chaos and disorder. And third, that wherever there is chaos, disorder, or lack of productivity, the answer is correct government. The fall of mankind, as recorded in the third chapter of Genesis, was the result of man declaring independence from the government of heaven, resulting in anarchy and social and spiritual chaos. Ever since that fatal fall from governing grace, Man has been attempting to establish a form of self-government that would alleviate the internal and external chaos he continues to experience. Of course, that chaos is also manifested in the natural, physical creation he was mandated to govern, the earth. This is the reality behind the statement of the first century biblical writer Paul when he wrote, The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay, and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. Romans 8, 19-21. Paul's statement reveals the fact that government affects not only the people of the land, but also the land and physical environment itself. Governing is serious business. When man rejected heaven's government, he became the source of his own governing program. The results ever since have proven that we need help. The Creator's intent was to administrate earth government from heaven through his image, nature, in man, and thus manifest his nature and character on earth. God's government is a unique structure that is yet misunderstood. I would at this point describe it as a corporate kingdom government, government by corporate leadership the theocratic order of a king over kings as partners in governing. This is what we would call the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom-government concept is God's idea. However, when man rejected heaven's government, he had no choice but to accept as an alternative the disappointing plethora of human attempts at government. When the children of Israel left the land of Egypt, as recorded in the Exodus story, God instructed Moses to advise them that they would be governed by the laws of heaven and led by God himself as their heavenly king on earth. This was the first step in God's plan to reinstate the kingdom of heaven on earth once again, using a small nation of slaves as his prototype. He expressed his divine desire through Moses, stating, Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites, Exodus 195 through 6. Here we see God's intent for the nation to be governed by heaven from heaven and to be an expression of his kingdom on earth. Israel rejected theocracy, the rule of a gracious and loving king who would protect and provide for them. Instead, they substituted a king for the king. Their decision led to calamitous consequences. The fall of man was not the loss of heaven, but rather the loss of the kingdom government of heaven on earth. Any honest human taking a serious look at the conditions of our planet would have to conclude that earth is in need of a new, or in this case, an alternative form of government. The spiritual Social, economic, physical, environmental, and cultural conditions of our earth demand a government that is superior to any we have yet invented. Perhaps the answer to man's need for an effective and just government is found in the first official words of Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago as he announced his primary mission and commented on the human condition. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Matthew 4.17 Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Matthew five three. Here we note that Jesus' assessment of man's spiritual and social hunger and poverty of soul can be satisfied only by receiving the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom is the only source of true joy for the heart of man. Jesus' announcement identified his stated solution to man's earthly condition. The kingdom of heaven is near, or has arrived. The kingdom concept originated in the mind of God and was the original governing system designed for earth. The ideal kingdom concept is unique, distinctive, and provides for the greatest benefits to its citizens. The ideal kingdom is such a beautiful idea that only God could have thought of it. And it is the only system of governing that can bring the peace and equality, and fulfillment that mankind longs for. I use the term ideal kingdom concept because historically man has attempted to imitate and duplicate the heavenly design of the kingdom with disappointing results. Man's efforts to establish kingdom government has produced defective, oppressive, and destructive models that have not only fallen short of the noble aspirations of man, but has also inflicted negative repercussions on his fellow man. In essence, mankind's rejection of heaven's kingdom model has led to the abolition of peace and the installation of inferior forms of government. Some governments are better than others, but all are inferior to God's government, the kingdom of heaven. The Government of Man versus the Government of God The Bible is the most misunderstood book on planet Earth not only by those who do not prescribe to it, but also by many of those who claim to know and embrace its message. Simply stated, the Bible is about a king, a kingdom, and a royal family of children. The Bible is not about religion and was never intended to be a religious book. Rather, its story and message are about the desire of a king to extend his kingdom to new territories through his royal family. The Bible, therefore, is about government and governing. What is government? Government is about order, influence, administration, distribution, protection, maintenance, accountability, responsibility, and productivity. Technically speaking, government is the person, group, or organization that executes the functions of governing. This is manifested in the exercise of authority and jurisdiction over territory and a citizenry. Government was first established by the command and mandate of God to Adam and incorporates the need to order, work, oversee, guard, and protect. The roots of government in the Western world reach back to the world of the Greeks. In Greek, government, kubernetes, literally means to steer, to pilot, or to act as a rudder. Without law and government, we have chaos. Chaos. So government is the power given or derived for the purpose of making and enforcing laws for a certain territory. Governing incorporates the concepts of both power and authority. These two are distinct from each other and must be fully understood in order to appreciate the proper context of government. Both authority and power must be in balance for government to be successful. Authority has to do with responsibility, while power has to do with ability. Authority has to do with empowerment. Power focuses on exercising authority. Authority gives power its legality. Power without legitimate authority is dictatorship and inevitably results in abuse, oppression, and destruction. Authority gives power its rights. Authority is the key to successful government. If the ruling power does not have authority, it cannot govern. The authority to govern either is given by way of a popular vote or derived by way of inherent authority. Earthly governments derive their authority from the people, either through a process of choice or by usurping authority through force. For instance, a president or premier or prime minister is imbued with authority by the people who voted him or her into power. In kingdoms, however, authority is inherent and a product of the rights of ownership. This concept is crucial in understanding the nature of kingdoms. God's authority as king is inherent. No one gives him authority. He has authority because of who he is and because he created the earth and everything that lives on the earth. That is why Jesus could say that all authority had been given to him. His father had all authority and therefore had the right to give it to his son. The father had creative rights to the whole universe. The governments of this earth get their authority by way of vote or violence. It is not inherent authority. The only government on the earth that represents inherent authority is a monarchy. A king has the power and can give it to whomever he chooses. All other governments are formed by casting a vote or by launching a revolution. In the final analysis, all human governments are substitutions for the ideal, no matter how good these governments might be. Let us take a brief look at some of man's attempts at government and structures of rulership. The most important one we will discuss will be the form of governing we call feudalism. Feudalism. Feudalism describes a governing or ruling system that was established by virtue of the power of ownership. As a matter of fact, the authority in this system was called a feudal lord, meaning a landowner. During the early Middle Ages, the economic and social power of societies were related to agriculture. Therefore, land was the key source of power. He who owned the land owned the power. When land is power, then whoever owns the most land controls everyone and everything. This is where the idea of real estate originated. Landowners were the ones who were considered to possess real estate. The landowner was the lord of the land. Thus we find the word landlord used to describe those who owned land. Therefore, the primary pursuit of all who desired power was land. Landowners were known as lords and eventually became rulers of their land. The more land they owned, the greater their lordship or rulership. Individuals who owned significant parcels of land became known as kings. In other words, the prerequisite for becoming a king was the ownership of land. This is also where the idea of earthly kingdoms gets its birth. Kingdom was the word used to describe the territory over which a local king or landowner ruled or exercised ownership right and authority. It is also important to note that because all the land was personally owned by the landlord, then private property was not possible. Thus, all the people who lived on and worked the land did so at the pleasure and mercy of the king or landlord. Everything in the land, including animals, Natural resources and all other materials were considered the personal property of the king or lord. In many cases, where the lord or king was kind and benevolent, the people who lived, worked, and served on his land enjoyed the benefits of his kindness. And because they made his land productive and added prosperity to him, he provided, protected, and cared for them. This is why a good king tended to attract many to his kingdom. Feudalism as a concept of governing was a derivative of the original government established in the Garden of Eden under the first man, Adam, who himself was made the landlord of the earth. God's original plan was a feudal system where all men served as kings and lords of the earth, ruling not humans, but the animal, plant, bird, and water kingdoms. However, in cases where the landlord or king was not kind and merciful, The result was abuse and oppression of the people by virtue of noble status. Whoever owned the land controlled those who lived on the land. Feudalism is an illustration of the danger of putting the authority that belongs to the king of heaven into the hands of ungodly and unrighteous human kings and lords. When the culture migrated away from agriculture to industry, the noble lords eventually lost their power. Dictatorship Dictatorship is the form of government derived from the concept of divine authority, which is built on the belief that certain individuals are chosen by the gods or by providence to rule the masses and exercise authority over the less fortunate or so-called inferior peoples. This is the form of governing we find in the biblical records and other sources, such as the Egyptian pharaohs, who believed they were products of the gods and were destined to rule people by virtue of birthright. Dictatorships have emerged in every generation and continue to do so to this day. They come in many forms and titles, but the principle and results are the same. A dictatorship is government that concentrates its power and authority in the hands of one individual who wields absolute authority unrestricted by laws, constitution, or any other social-political factor dictators are considered despots and usually are driven by personal ambition or private interests. They focus in on themselves and their goals. Self-worship is also common in this form of governing. Historically, dictatorships have never succeeded for long, usually ending in tragedy and chaos. No dictatorship will survive forever. At some point, the people will revolt. The dictatorship is also a twisted attempt by man to reestablish the original form of government established by the creator in the Garden of Eden, when he delegated total rulership and dominion control to the man. Adam was given absolute power, but the distinction was that his power and dominion were never intended to rule over other human beings, but over the animal, bird, plant, and water kingdoms. Whenever the attempt is made to dominate humankind through any form of dictatorship, the natural result is rebellion and resistance. This is natural and always will be. Dictatorship over humanity is not God's original form of government. Communism. As a form of government, communism is a combination of the first two types of governing. Communism is man's attempt to control land and people by the exercise of dictatorship. This is why a communist state repossesses all private property and attempts to enforce productivity through oppression and coercion. It seeks to accomplish this by attempting to legislate love and sharing, an approach that never succeeds because human nature cannot be forced to love or to care. These behaviors result from natural motivation and internal convictions. No law can accomplish that. It is my view that communism is man's attempt to re-establish the kingdom of heaven on earth as given to the first man, Adam, but without the involvement of the source of creation himself. In essence, communism is an attempt to establish a kingdom without righteousness. One can find in the writings of Marx and Engels a certain sincerity as they sought to find a way to bring power to the people, proletariat, by wresting that power from the hands of the nobility, bourgeois. It was an attempt to take ownership of land away from the nobles and put it in the hands of the people. They believed in a dictatorship of the people. Great idea? Maybe. The only problem is that government is in the hands of people. Whenever man is involved, government will fail. Communism simply exchanged power by wresting it from the hands of the czars and placing it in the hands of a new set of dictators. Socialism. Socialism, a stepchild of communism, is another endeavor to bring the state closer to the needs of the people. It substitutes the state for the king and attempts to control society for the benefit of society. Like all the others, socialism is another failed attempt by man to govern himself. Absolute power corrupts absolutely, and the state loses its concern for the individual as it becomes more obsessed with its own power. This leads us to our final look at man's attempt to govern himself. Democracy Democracy has its roots in the writings of the Greeks and is viewed by many people, even those in the Western religions, as the perfect government. Plato called it the fairest of constitutions, but did so only reluctantly because he saw weaknesses within democracy that would lead to its downfall. The rule of the people, by the people, and for the people is a fine idea. It is man's attempt to get further away from despotism and tyrannical rule. Democracy as a principle is man's reaction to all the other forms of government, such as feudalism, dictatorship, communism, and socialism. A close study of the roots of Western democracy will reveal that it was a reaction and rebellion against a divine choice or feudal system of governing called a kingdom. In reality, America was built on rebellion against a kingdom. The founders and framers of the American concept of governing championed the cause of democracy and adopted the Greek ideas and refined them to accommodate their aspirations. America rejected a kingdom. America's dream and guiding principles were independence, self-determination, and individuality. But while these principles serve as the bedrock of Western democracy, they remain contrary to the kingdom principles. Americans have never understood the potential power of a king and his kingdom because they were exposed to corrupt kings. Out of that fear, they created a system of rule that would limit the power of a single man. The system of checks and balances was installed to guard against power and authority being consolidated into the hand of one individual. This fear of totalitarianism and dictatorship is the engine that drives the motor of Western democracy, and unstably so. In the absence of the original perfect and ideal kingdom government concept, the concept of democracy is the best form of government invented by mankind and serves to protect him from his own defective nature and character. However, despite the fact that democracy is the best civil form of governing in our stressful world of demigods, democracy itself is plagued with defects that leave it wanting. The fundamental problem of democracy is its very foundation power and authority by majority vote. Democracy is the best form of civil government as we know it because of its basic tenets and because of the checks and balances of the system. It is also built on the premise and principle of the majority rule and the protection of individual rights. Democracy has served our nations well in that it is given voice to the people and provides opportunity for broad-based participation in the political process by the people of a nation its checks and balances system further protects the masses from monopolization of power by one or by the few. Despite its advantages and benefits, however, democracy does come with a few crucial defects. One such defect is its fundamental and major principle of majority rule. This defect is critical because even though it gives power to the majority of the people, at the same time, it places morality, values and the standards for law at the mercy of the majority vote thus legitimizing the majority's values desires beliefs aspirations and preferences if the power of democracy is in the people then we the people become the sovereign of our lives and corporate destiny and thus become our own providential ruler and god this is the reemergence and manifestation of the age-old philosophy of humanism Humanism is simply man becoming his own measure for morality, judgment, and justice that places man at the mercy of himself. So no matter how educated man may become, he can lead himself only as far as he goes himself. The record of history and the present state of the world gives evidence that man left to himself makes a poor god. Therefore, democracy without accountability to one greater than the people is an exercise in moral roulette. Simply put, democracy without God is man's worship and elevation of himself and his own intelligence. What a tragedy. Democracy cannot succeed without God any more than communism can succeed without God. God is not subject to our own politics, nor can he be. But he has created his own political system and governmental structure which, as this book will demonstrate, is far superior to all forms of earthly government. From the Creator's perspective, life is politics, and He is the essence of life. In Him there is no distinction between government and spirituality. They are one and the same. The assignment given to the first man in the Garden of Eden was a political assignment given to a spirit being living in a flesh body. Therefore, in the context of the original biblical mandate, The concept of the separation of church and state, or religion and government, is a lofty idea that has no root in biblical logic or fact. The original biblical mandate provides no foundation for it. Everyone is religious in the sense that they bring to life their moral convictions no matter what their religious claim. We are all political and religious. There can be no separation. You cannot legislate a dichotomy between a man and his belief system. Legislation itself is the result and manifestation of a belief system and moral judgment. Therefore, democracy can succeed only where there is a clear accountability to a moral code accepted by the majority as being good, civil, and right, and which serves as the anchor and foundation for national governance. In my country, the Bahamas, that moral code is recognized constitutionally and nationally as the biblical principles of the historic Judeo-Christian faith and the God of those scriptures. This is stated within the constitutional document and provides an authoritative reference for governing within our nation. Consequently, when the majority votes and the results are in keeping with the natural laws and standards established in the biblical text, then the vote is considered legitimate. On the other hand, when the majority votes in violation of natural law and of the principles established by the biblical text, that vote or legislation becomes illegitimate. In essence, the problem with democracy, rule of the people, is that the vote of many can be the wrong vote. Another weakness of democracy is that it is not absolute. Its concepts and laws can blow like the wind. It can be easily influenced by the changing culture. Because the citizens can be so easily manipulated by a shift in the culture and by the will of people at the top, they can be induced to abandon their rights and transfer them to those who rule over them. Plato knew that eventually the rule of the people would deteriorate into the rule of the state. I predict with great sadness that even democracy, with all of its promises and aspirations for a good, civil, and just society, will not survive as a human government. When your best is not good enough, the only alternative is to look elsewhere for something better. There is a better alternative, and that is the heart of this book. The Return of the King and His Kingdom What is this alternative? It is to return to the original governing concept of God the Creator, which is the Kingdom concept. Of course, people who have lived in the context of a democracy or a republic all their lives usually find it not only difficult but almost impossible to understand or accept easily this concept of a kingdom. Compounding the problem is the historical educational process that paints the concept of kingdoms in a negative light due to experiences with corrupt kings and kingdoms in the past. As a matter of fact, to many people, in their limited understanding, a kingdom is simply a dictatorship in the hands of a family. If this is true, then the message of Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago was the promotion and establishment of a dictatorship with himself as the dictator. He called himself a king and said he came to bring back to earth a kingdom. According to this message, which was the only one he preached, The ultimate key to successful human earthly government is the restoration of a king and a kingdom on earth, albeit a righteous, benevolent, and good king. There is only one who can fit that role. It is the one who created us and designed each one of us with a unique purpose. We must bring back the king. This king cares for his citizens. His rule is a righteous rule. It is this ideal, original kingdom that the heart of all humanity seeks. All of mankind throughout history, and still today, is searching desperately to find that perfect kingdom. Man has tried every imaginable way to create a flawless government. What he has failed to understand is that the original kingdom, established by the king, is what he has been searching for all along. The kingdoms of this world must accept the kingdom of the Lord and of his Christ. The original and ideal king and kingdom are superior to all other forms of government. This book will prove that point as we continue our journey to understand this majestic concept. Even within the church, we argue over government, not knowing that there is only one government. We must come to understand the superiority of a kingdom over all other forms of government. The world needs a benevolent king. We have that king. We just don't recognize him. I said earlier that one qualification of a legitimate king is ownership of land, which automatically makes him a lord. God, who has revealed himself in Jesus Christ, is the ultimate lord and owner of all things. Who makes God to be king and lord? Nobody. He is king and lord by right of creation. Creative rights give him incontestable ownership rights to earth and the universe. He created all things, and that automatically makes him lord of all. We don't give God the earth. He doesn't need us to make him king. We can only acknowledge him as king. His original purpose and plan was to extend his invisible kingdom of heaven to earth through his offspring in his image, mankind, and to rule through man as a heavenly agency. In essence, with God's kingdom on earth, his territory, through all mankind, we would be rulers under the ruler. Once we are under the rule of this gracious, merciful, benevolent, loving, caring king, he takes personal responsibility for us, not as servants or serfs, but as family and royal children. This care of the citizens by the king is a concept called kingdom welfare and describes the king's personal commitment to look after the needs and wants of his citizens within his land. Therefore, the word welfare is a concept that can only be understood fully in the context of a kingdom. Whenever we submit to a king and his kingdom, we come under his welfare. Welfare is not a word that can be used in a democracy. For many, the very word welfare paints negative pictures in their minds, and they believe it to be a societal curse. In the context of a kingdom, however... Welfare is a beautiful word, and describes something to be highly desired. It is a word that is used to express a king's commitment to his citizenry. This is why in all true kingdoms, the concept of prosperity and national social services is called commonwealth. Again, this concept can only be understood within the concept of a kingdom. In any of the other forms of government, no regime or person has ever been successful in effectively caring for all of the citizens. As a matter of fact, even under the best form of human government, democracy, there is the plight of the rich versus the poor, the haves compared to the have-nots, the extreme and unequal distribution of wealth, discrimination, racism, divisions, social classifications, and ethnic segregation. History continually fails to show us a government that manifests the equality, harmony, stability, and community that man has desired and sought after from the day of the fall of Adam. Even our best is defective. No government has been able to take care of its people equally. In a true ideal kingdom, however, all the citizens' welfare is the personal responsibility of the king. This is why the original kingdom concept, as in the kingdom of God taught by Jesus Christ, is superior to all other governments. Therefore, in a kingdom, the concept of commonwealth is also very important. And the word correctly describes the nature of the relationship the king has with his citizens and subjects. The wealth in a kingdom is common. Therefore, in a true ideal kingdom, there is no discrimination or distinction between the rich and the poor. For in such a kingdom, all citizens have equal access to kingdom wealth and resources provided by the benevolent king. In essence, the king's interest is the welfare of the kingdom and everything in it. If none of the human systems of government are adequate... How then do we adopt God's original kingdom concept into our world? It begins by understanding the kingdom concept of colonization. Principles 1. 90% of all the national and international problems facing our world today are the result either of government or religion. 2. The need for government and order is inherent in the human spirit and is a manifestation of a divine mandate given to mankind by the Creator. 3. Man's need for some formal government structure is an outgrowth of his need for social order and relationship management. 4. The mandate of the Creator for mankind was rulership and dominion. 5. Some governments are better than others, but all are inferior to God's government, the kingdom of heaven. 6. Feudalism as a concept of governing was a derivative of the original government established in the Garden of Eden under the first man, Adam, who himself was made the landlord of the earth. 7. Feudalism is an illustration of the danger of putting the authority that belongs to the king of heaven into the hands of ungodly and unrighteous human kings and lords. 8. A dictatorship is a government that concentrates its power and authority in the hands of one individual wields absolute authority unrestricted by laws, constitution, or any other social-political factor. 9. Communism is man's attempt to control land and people by the exercise of dictatorship. 10. Communism is an attempt to establish a kingdom without righteousness. 11. Socialism substitutes the state for the king and attempts to control society for the benefit of society. 12. 12. Democracy is the best form of civil government as we know it because of its basic tenets and because of the checks and balances of the system. 13. One major defect of democracy is its fundamental principle of majority rule, which, even though it gives power to the majority of the people, places morality, values, and the standards for law at the mercy of the majority, thus legitimizing the majority's values, desires, beliefs, aspirations, and preferences. Fourteen, our best alternative is to return to the original governing concept of God the creator, which is the kingdom concept.
0: Okay, y'all. That's it. That is it for chapter two. I hope y'all enjoyed it. Um, it's an awesome book if you just really pay attention to it. And sometimes we don't get things the first time we hear it, so you can always catch it on the replay and replay it until it sinks in your mind. Um, I want to encourage y'all to continue to tune in to Tina Smoot Radio on Anchor Podcast. Um, I do this stuff because I love to do it and it's my calling. It's God's purpose for my life. I want each and every last one of you guys to know and to learn about the kingdom principles so you can get tuned in and you can get the stuff that God has for you. But the, the first step is in, of entering the kingdom is getting to know Jesus Christ. So, at, like I always do, if you don't know Jesus, this is how you can get to know him. First, you have to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. No man comes to the Father except through the Son. Second, you have to believe that he died on the cross for your sins, which he did. He died for you, he died for me, he died for the world. And third, you have to ask him to forgive you of your sins and succumb into your life and to save you and you will be saved. If you said that prayer, welcome to the winning team welcome to the kingdom of god um that's just the beginning step but if you get on my anchor podcast or watch my youtube channel tina smooth on youtube like comment subscribe hit that notification bell for when i go live you would you would tune in and you would figure out how to actually enter the kingdom because as i get knowledge i'm gonna share it this is part of me sharing the knowledge that i have gotten with you guys by this book I love you guys. You guys have a blessed Sunday.